My text today comes in Matthew, comes from Matthew 27, and I'm going to read two short verses, verse 50 and verse number 51. Here's what it says. It says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. Today, I want to minister to you on a subject that I think you can all relate to right now. I'm calling it sick of separation, sick of separation. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace, by your power, and most of all, by your Holy Spirit to each and every person. Would you speak to their hearts in Jesus' name? And everybody at home said, amen, amen, amen. This is the sixth week of most states' stay-at-home order where we have been separating ourselves in order to slow down the spread of COVID-19. And the evidence shows that indeed our stay-at-home order and cooperation has worked to slow the spread and flatten the curve. But nevertheless, it's taken far too many precious lives. It's taken mothers and and fathers and sisters and brothers, sons and daughters, and um, our hearts are with Everybody who's been touched and we as a church family are particularly grieving right now the loss of one of our own, Pastor Al's son, Jonathan. And so our heart goes out to Pastor Al, to Donna, to Jonathan's wife, Katie, and his kids. Um, Our love and prayers are are with you all. And we see that our efforts have, have helped, but our efforts have not taken away the hurt. And now we enter the reopening stage. This is the time where authorities, both federal, both state, both local, are trying to figure out when and how to open, how fast we should open, how to stage all of that in so that there is a return to some type of normalcy. And no matter how you feel about how long the stay-at-home orders should remain in effect, fact is that people are getting restless People are getting tired of being separated from one another, and protests are mounting. We saw that Michigan led the way, and then North Carolina and Missouri, and people are tired of staying at home, and they have mounting concerns, and they're being forced to choose between two harms, the health risks and the risk of losing everything that they worked their entire life to gain. And, and so quarantine is, is not fun. And no matter where you stand, you can understand both ends of the spectrum. I mean, quarantine is, is starting to get to us because the fact of the matter is we weren't made to be separated from one another. Truth is, we need each other. Truth is that we were never created to live alone, to do life alone, to work alone, to love alone. We were made for handshakes and hugs and congregating together. And the scripture hasn't changed when it says it's not good for man to be alone. It hasn't changed when it said two are better than one. It hasn't changed when it says do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. And so no matter where you stand on the issue of staying separated and for how long, there is a growing disdain for remaining socially distant from one another, even amongst those who love each other. Spouses, even though they enjoy each other's company, are looking forward to the space that is created by being able to go to work. And parents, even though they love having their kids home, are looking forward to the space of sending them back to school. And without getting too far ahead of myself, I think there is something to be said for this growing sickness of separation. And that is, it really reminds us of the heartbeat of the gospel. You see, there's always been a God out there 
who always has been and always will be sick of being separated from you. You really are the apple of God's eye. You really are the crown jewel of his creation. You really are the pearl of great price in God's eyes. You're his bride. You're his child. You're his creation. And God wants to be with you. He is sick of being separated from you. We all know how it went down. When God made the earth, he made this beautiful, beautiful paradise. And then what did he do? He put Adam and Eve in the middle of it. And then the God who lived in heaven came down in the cool of the day to commune and to walk with and to live with and to love on his creation. Imagine that with me. The God who lives in heaven leaves heaven just so he can come to earth, so he can walk with Adam and Eve who he created. God has always been and will always be sick of being separated from you. But then it happened. You know the story. Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, separation between us and God took place. And on that faithful day, God made his last visit to the garden. And when he made his last visit to the garden, he found Adam and Eve hiding. And he clothed them with skins. And then he escorted them out of the garden. And he put a cherubim, two cherubim with flaming swords at the mouth of the garden. And instructed them never to let anybody back in the garden. And suddenly the thing that God hated became a reality, separation. But even the sword of separation was an act of his love because God wouldn't let them back in the garden so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and remain separated from him from all of eternity. And so even before the separation, even before the sinister scheme of the enemy to separate you and I from God, God had a plan, and that plan God foretold of when he spoke to Satan, the author of the separation, Make no mistake about it. He is the author of what's going on right now. God spoke his plan and he said to Satan, he said, I'll put enmity between your seed and the woman's and her seed will crush your head and you'll bruise its heel. I want to remind you that God's plan is always superior than what the enemy throws our way. And even when it seems like the enemy has won in separating us from the Father, God has a superior plan. I want to remind you that God will not be outsmarted by the enemy or shut down by a sickness and that God is even using this separation to remind us of the greatest story that's ever been told, how God closed the gap, how God wiped out the sin that separated you and I from him. And so God began his plan, and I want to remind you of that plan today, of how to wipe out the separation that his heart was sick of between you and I and our heavenly father. And here was step one of the plan. The first thing that God did was our sin was canceled. We spoke about this last week in our message for Easter. The resurrection is not canceled. We talked about all the things that have been canceled. Handshakes and haircuts and workouts and sporting events and concerts and Broadway plays and schools and daycares and in-person church services. It kind of reminds me of a meme that I saw on social media. The enemy was talking to God. Satan was talking to God. He said, ah, ha, ha, because of COVID-19, I have shut down all your churches. God looked back and he said, on the contrary, I've opened one in every single home. Isn't God good? But I digress for just a minute. Call me crazy, but I see the hand of God, the divine hand of Christ in every cancellation, using what the devil meant for evil to remind us of what God did to put an end to our separation. Colossians chapter 2 verse number 14 says it best. Listen to it. 
It says he destroyed the record of debt that we owed with its requirements that worked against us and he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. And I don't know about you, but I want to add something to the list of cancellations. Yes, haircuts have been canceled and handshakes have been canceled and workouts. And by the way, some of y'all need to get some of those in. Workouts have been canceled and sporting events have been canceled and Broadway canceled and school and church and all that canceled. But 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, on a cross Placed on top of a mountain called Golgotha. God canceled our sin. Every bit of it. Not You can't find a trace. You can't go and Google it. You can't get a private eye to investigate it. And bring it up in a court of law later. He removed it as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Your sin has been canceled. No matter what you've done. No matter how bad it was, no matter how much somebody throws it up in your face, God put an end to it. Not some of it, not it in part, but it in full on the cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full. God started the plan to stop the separation by canceling our sin. But then the second part of the plan, our punishment was satisfied. Somebody said, well, that's not fair, Pastor. You you can't just let somebody off scot-free without punishing them when they do something that's wrong. And we all know that violates our sense of justice. When somebody harms us, our first inclination is to see that they pay for it. Or when somebody does something wrong in society, we want justice to be met. And that's been the outcry over the last few years of so many in our society. It goes against everything in us when justice is not met. And make no mistake about it, sin wasn't let off scot-free. Sin deserves to be punished. It's not cute, sin. It's not culturally defined. It's not politically incorrect. It is what crucified my Lord. As the song we sing says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it makes me want to tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Because sometimes it makes me want to tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sin did not go unpunished. But the good news that you can use all of the time, because most news you can never use, but there's good news that you can always use, and that is that sin did not go unpunished punished. Matter of fact, it was punished in the most severe way. Not only was sin punished, but listen to me, God's judgment was completely satisfied. Listen to this scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to read a, a big text here. Listen to what it says. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers, he was silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off 
from the land of the living for the transgressions of you and I. He was stricken. Listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put our grief upon him. When he made his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And here's the verse. He shall see the labor or the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Sin was punished in the worst possible way. The Holy Son of God was punished in our place with the complete wrath of God being put and poured out upon him, a wrath that was so great that it caused Jesus to shout out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here's the good news. Sin was not just punished. Judgment was satisfied. The word satisfied in Isaiah 53 is an interesting word. It's the strongest of all words. It doesn't mean just like, ah, you get a satisfactory in school, like, you know, satisfactory or needs improvement. It's not that kind of satisfied. It comes from the Hebrew word, which means to be satiated. To eat so much that some of you understand what this is like being in quarantine. To, To eat so much that you cannot think about another bite of food because you'll throw up all over the place. And when the Bible says God will see the travail of Jesus' soul and be satisfied, here's what it means. It means God cannot think of even this much more judgment because of the judgment that was poured out upon Jesus. People say this all the time. They say, you know what? God is punishing the world with the virus. And I point to what Jesus did. I point to this verse and say, yeah, but that can't be. Why? Because God saw the travail of Jesus' soul and was satisfied. Judgment satisfied. Sin completely punished. Why? Because God was sick of the separation. See, under the old covenant, God was separated. He was distant. And years and years and years and years, all of a sudden, he said, I'm sick. I got to stop it. And so what does he do? He cancels our sin. He satisfies judgment. And then number three, check this out. He quarantines the curse. Our curse was quarantined. With sin and separation came a curse. The curse of the law was poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. All very, very infectious, all highly contagious. And God said, before I can put an end to separation, I've got to quarantine the curse. And the way that I'm going to quarantine the curse is I'm going to put the curse that is infectious, that can pass upon everybody on one person. I'm going to put it on my only begotten son. And then I'm going to leave him quarantined for three days and three nights. Did you know that the Jewish people believed that after three days of being dead, you couldn't resurrect anything anymore? It's interesting to me that Jesus was dead for three days and three nights. Why? Because God was saying, I'm going to make sure that curse that I put on him can never, ever come back again. That curse was quarantined. And then you know the rest of the story. After three days, what happened? The stone was rolled away and out Jesus came. And many of us think that that tomb was left empty. But I want to correct that theology. Our tomb was not left empty. Because in that tomb remained our 
fear. And he left in that tomb our depression. And he left in that tomb our anxiety. And he left in that tomb our poverty. And he left in that tomb our sickness. And he left in that tomb our spiritual separation from Almighty God. The curse has been quarantined. The tomb Jesus walked out of. But everything that was against us remained there. God said, I'm sick of the separation. And so because God had canceled the sin, and because our punishment was satisfied, and because the curse was quarantined, guess what God did next? God destroyed not the social distance, but the spiritual distance between him and us. Look at what our text says, Matthew chapter 27, verse number 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he yielded up the spirit, and then behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And when I was looking at this, I prayed. I said, God, help me to get this across. Underneath the old covenant, underneath the covenant that we call the old sin was not canceled. Judgment was not satisfied. The curse was not quarantined. And so God limited his presence to a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And this is where, among other things, the Ark of the Covenant and consequently the mercy seat of God, which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, were contained. And once a year on Yom Kippur, the high priest and only the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer a blood sacrifice where he would sprinkle the blood of an animal on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the people. And, and, and in doing this, he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, the, here's a way I can explain atonement. It's like playing, paying the minimum on your credit cards. When you pay the minimum on your credit cards, it keeps the creditor from coming after you, but it doesn't do anything to deal with the debt. That was atonement. The debt was still hanging over their head. And so the high priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies to make this blood sacrifice for sins. But in order to get into the Holy of Holies, the high priest would have to go behind this veil. And this veil was huge. It was 45 to 60 feet high and four inches thick. And the high priest would go behind this veil and this veil guarded the presence of God. And they didn't always know whether the high priest would make it out. And so they would tie a rope to the ankles of the high priest just in case when he walked into the presence of God that was separated by a veil because of his lack of holiness, he'd fall dead. They had the rope in case they had to pull him out. The veil represented separation from God due to the sin of the people which was not canceled, due to the judgment of God which was not satisfied, due to the curse of the law which had not been quarantined. But listen to what happened on the cross. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. He entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, 
Through his death on the cross was both the high priest and the sacrifice. It means that there was something different about the blood of Jesus. It wasn't the minimum on the credit card. Jesus' blood went into the holy of holies and paid the entire balance. It wiped away the debt once and for all. And when Jesus went into the holy of holies and sprinkled his blood on the heavenly tabernacle on the mercy seat in the very throne room of God the significance of that sacrifice showed up in the earthly tabernacle how so well notice what our text said happened when the earth began to quake then notice the language from top to bottom the veil of the temple was split in two Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. Why not bottom from top? God was letting us know that this separation was not stopped because of anything that man did. But the reason why it happened from top to bottom is because God himself was giving us a picture of his mighty hands, but yet his loving hands reaching that curtain of separation and grabbing it and ripping it apart, saying that this separation is canceled. I'm sick of it. God wants to be reunited with you. God is sick of separation. Never ever wants to be apart from you in any way. God was saying, I had enough of being separated from my people. They are the apple of my eye. They are the crown jewel of my creation. They are my bride. They are my church. I don't want to interact with them by being behind a curtain. And here's why the scripture says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is God saying? God is saying, in any condition that you're in, because of what Jesus did, by removing the spiritual distance between us and God, you and I can walk right into the presence of Almighty God, right into the Holy of Holies. And I notice what he says. He says, and you will find grace, favor, and mercy, which means you may have even done something wrong to help in time of need. What is God saying? No more veils. No more ropes. You don't have to come and feel like you're not worthy. Because of Christ, a way has been made. You have an all-access pass to the king of the universe. God is sick of separation. And then because sin was canceled, judgment was satisfied, the curse was quarantined, and spiritual separation was destroyed. Number five. Five because five is the number of grace. Last point. Life was reopened. That's the stone being rolled away. That's Jesus being the resurrection and the life. That's Christ coming to triumph over the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying with eternal and abundant life. And when the Lord gave me this, the Lord told me, tell them they are never unemployed. Tell them they are never not allowed to go to work. What do you mean, pastor? In John's gospel, there's this, there's this little story. It's about a man that was born blind. And the disciples, they asked Jesus, they said, who, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
The question is preposterous because how can somebody sin even before they're born? And so Jesus answers in such an amazing way. And I think his answer speaks to everything that we're wondering right now. He says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for somebody to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines because when night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. How appropriate. Everybody is looking for someone to blame for the virus. It's Trump's fault. It's Pelosi's fault. It's China's fault. I think there is something more important to be focused on. Because for most of us, fault finding is way beyond our pay grade. What we ought to be focusing on as long as we can, as long as we are the light in this lost world, is working for God. What we ought to be focused on is the fact that though our job may be shut down, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got to be about our father's business because here's what I know. I know in a world, whatever the condition is, there is always somebody that needs the love of God. There's always somebody that needs the kindness of Christ. There's always somebody that needs compassion. There's always somebody that needs God's help. There's always somebody who needs to hear the message of the gospel. And so God's message to you is get to work. Matter of fact, if I was at home, I'd say, work it, work it, work it. You need to go out there and do what God has called you to. And that's what I want to close with today. Being about our Father's business. How so? By asking you, have you accepted the cancellation of your sin? Have you accepted the fact that the judgment for sin has been fully satisfied? Have you done that by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? Listen to me carefully. If you haven't, you can do that right where you are. I believe there's a big message right now and all of this separation. And the message is, God's trying to tell us, he dealt with the separation between you and I and him that sin caused. And all we need to do to be reunited to him is to surrender our life to Jesus Christ. If that's you and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I need to do that right now. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. Just say it like this. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I make Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says all your sins have been washed away. You're right with God. The help of the Holy Spirit is now entering into wherever you received Christ from. He's going to walk with you. He's going to talk with you. He's going to guide you through life. And we want to know about it. If you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this is important to us. It's also important for you. Click the raise your hand button on the screen if you're watching on church online. If you're watching on some other platform, type the word Jesus in the chat because we want to reach out to you and help you in your journey with Christ. Thanks so much for watching, but don't just stop there. 
Click the Watch Live button in the description below to join us for Faith Church Online every Sunday morning. And while you're there, you can set a reminder to come back Sundays at 9 and 11. If you'd also like to learn more about getting involved here at Faith Church, you can click the Connect button. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss a single video and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you again for watching. And as always, remember, with Jesus, you are destined to win.